In the holy name of Jesus, amen. One of the joys of high school kids is their incessant hopefulness, even though it is often disguised as rebellion or cynicism or pessimism. Sure, there are always kids who are less than hopeful. As Bart Simpson once said, making high school kids depressed is like shooting fish in a barrel. But in most cases, it seems to me that high school rebellion, cynicism, and pessimism is really their way of asserting that I can do this way better than any of you. Way better than any of you old geezers gathered here this morning who have made a hash of the environment, the economy, the educational system, social security, the food chain, the two-party system, the national debt, the drinking age, student loans, car insurance, and the Gulf of Mexico. And that assertion you see is its own kind of hopefulness. Of course, at some point beyond high school, reality sets in. Maybe when you're 30 or 35, but certainly by the time you are 45 or 50. These are the realities. Other people have more money. Other people are smarter. Other people's kids do better. And other people always get to the water first. But then, in spite of your reality, Jesus shows up this morning to finish your story with a brand new ending that you could never imagine. It must have been a miserable place, that pool at Bethesda. It was a place filled with complaint. It was the last stop for the feeble, for the blind, the lame, and the withering, those whose lives were collapsing in on top of them. In many ways, it was a hopeless place. The odds that you would be the first one in the pool after an angel troubled the waters were, in fact, very small. Like the lame man in the story for today, most of the sick folks scattered around the pool had no way to close the gap between their mats and the troubled waters. They were not only dependent on the whims of the angels, but also on the mercy of others. And yet, just the fact that they were there at Bethesda was an act of hopefulness, an act of expectation and imagination and faith. Being there was a rebellion against the realities of normal life, against the hand they had been dealt. Being there was an assertion that their lives could have a different ending even if it took a miracle. On the day that Jesus came to play at the pool of Bethesda, he sees a man who had been rebelling against the realities for 38 years. Would you like to be healed, says Jesus. I would, says the man. And so Jesus says, on your way then, pick up your pallet and go home. And he did. The entire Christian life is jammed into verse 8 of this gospel reading. If we pull apart the words, I'm sure it won't surprise you to know that since this is St. John's Gospel, these words are loaded with double and even triple meanings. Rise, of course, 
means to stand up, but it is also the word for Jesus' resurrection. This is the Easter season, and you remember that there were also angels troubling the tomb on the first Easter morning with a similar message of mercy. You're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He has risen up. Go home means walk on or walk away or pick up your pallet and go. But it is also the word that means behave or live well. So it's rise and walk, rise and live, rise and behave, rise and obey, rise and follow me, rise and live well. These are Jesus' words which he uses to call folks to discipleship. His words today are a call to enter the life of the redeemed. So what's going on here at Bethesda is not just a healing. This is a resurrection. It is the story of the Christian life, and it is the story of your life. Often the church is a place filled with complaint. After all, sinners are our demographic. So you come today, and your life is miserable and broken and soiled with sins. And there is always something between you and Eden, always something between you and the cure, between you and what you should be, between you and being fully human, being whole. Sins that keep you from seeing what you should see and doing what you should do and knowing what you should know and going where you should go. And because of sin, you are feeble and your life is shriveled up. The word used there in the Greek text means your muscles don't have the juice to go on. You don't have the juice to live. And your body, your life is slowly collapsing in upon itself. And on your own, of course, there is no way that you can close the gap between you and what you were meant to be. There's no way that you can make it from the mat to the water all alone. No way you can make it from where you lie to your healing. There's no way that you can make it home to Eden. You are as good as dead. But this is Bethesda, which literally means house of mercy. And this is the Christ, the incarnate Son of God, here in flesh and blood, closing the gap between what you are right now and what you are meant to be. In John's Gospel, the biggest miracle is always simply that Jesus shows up. Once Jesus shows up, the stories take care of themselves. This healing is typical Jesus. It is instant, complete, and never in doubt. Jesus speaks realities, and so with a word, the layman stands up, picks up his pallet, and goes away. In one word, he goes from utter loss to full strength. But with Jesus, as you know, it is never just about the body. Jesus is for you, body and soul. And so from now until heaven, the place for those who rise and walk, the place for those who rise and live, the place for those who rise and <coughs> behave, the place for those who listen when Jesus says, follow me, is 
church. Resurrection is always a call to discipleship. Resurrection is always a daily call to enter the life of the redeemed. So it is no surprise in John's gospel that later that same day, Jesus sees the man from Bethesda again in the temple. And when he sees him, Jesus says something like, I'm very glad you're here. I'm very glad that you understand. I'm very glad that you are well. I'm very glad that you've been resurrected. And now, says Jesus, stay on course. Hit the mark. Go and sin no more, that nothing worse befall you. So it's quite clear that for Jesus, mercy isn't just about sitting on your mat, waiting for the next thing to happen. Just like Jesus, resurrection and mercy is about being up and being busy. That man, so feeble and withered, has now been caught up into the divine life of the Holy Trinity. This story is about hope, and it is about having a future. The point is this, that Jesus' resurrection is bigger than our realities, whatever they might be. Despite our sins, despite being broken, sometimes deluded, sometimes despondent, in a world where everybody else always seems to get to the water first, Jesus has a very different take on your life this morning. He is so in love with his creation and so in love with you specifically, one by one, that despite what you did to him on Good Friday, he is back in these 50 days of Easter to heal you and forgive you and love you and direct you. To introduce you to the divine life, as in, don't sin, it's just not good for you. That's a reality. And follow me, mercy is always best. That's a reality. And go and sin no more, lest something worse befall you. That is reality. The translation is, don't waste your resurrection. And so each and every day you wake up and you are the man on the mat. What is reality? How do you go forward? What is true? How will you live your life today? Easter is much more like a high school graduation than a midlife crisis. Because Easter urges us to have a little imagination and even a little rebellion. You know the way, says Jesus. You saw it in the Gospels appointed for this season of Easter. Mary Magdalene, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the seven disciples on the seashore, they all saw the risen Christ, and having seen him, they saw the world and themselves much more deeply. And they all went forward in faith, even on the days when they could not see. The church is filled with that kind of hopefulness, too. Two old friends speak again after a long period of silence. Relationships that were broken are rekindled, but this time around on Jesus' terms, not ours. Forgiveness is always on offer. And community is restored not by our strength, but by the koinonia of the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, which is offered here most every day. And only then can we who've got mercy actually live mercy in thanks for what Jesus has done. Knowing always that the gift of mercy plus the obedient life 
is what it means to be a Christian. Be forewarned, sometimes the Christian life is painful, even after our resurrection, even after our Bethesda. Near the end of this text, the man who, who did exactly as he was told, rise, rise and walk, rise and live, rise and behave, rise and live well, rise and obey, rise and follow me, rise and be a disciple, rise and go to church, rise and enter the divine life of the Holy Trinity, that man who did exactly what he was told is broken down by some antichrist folks who appointed themselves experts on love and the law and doctrine and church and discipleship. So each and every day when you wake up, you will have a first commandment choice to make. Will I fear God? Or will I fear man? My advice, trust the incarnation. Trust Good Friday, trust the resurrection, trust Christ, trust the miracle that was done once to you at your baptism and is done repeatedly to you at this Holy Eucharist. Trust the way forward and go out today. Risen up, healed, renewed, enlivened, refreshed, redeemed, and even a little rebellious but inside hope and mercy. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. amen.